So as I was thinking about those words, um, there's 10,000 reasons that we can worship him. I got to uh, spend a good portion of my weekend uh, with uh, many of the men of our church up at Lake Tahoe. And uh, I know that some of your uh, husbands or significant other or friend is still up there. Uh, and uh, it was a great time. And uh, just being in Tahoe, you know, kind of just wants to, I don't know about you, but if I get up there, it kind of restores me and uh, refreshes me. And uh, I just think, oh, this is so beautiful and it's awesome. And just thank you, God. So it just puts you in that kind of state of mind, right? When you just get to see that. Uh, and so uh, as we were up there, we were talking about the fact that, uh, that we look at that beauty and that God made that. And so when we look at the fact that God made it, then we can uh, celebrate him and his goodness. And uh, one of the things I reflected to the guys when I got to have a little time to share with them is that, you know, when we look at that Tahoe, we are like, wow, this is so awesome. This is so cool. And we just say, it doesn't get any better than this. Many of the guys said that. Just say, why don't I come up here more often? And what I shared with them is I said, you know, as much as you look at Lake Tahoe and feel that, I just want you to think about something. Uh, when God created the world, when he created the universe, and he created Lake Tahoe, he made it, you know? It says in the Bible that when he created it, he looked at it and said, it's good, it's good, it's beautiful. And I said, but here's the deal. When God created you, he looked at you, and he didn't just say it's good. He said, it's what? Very good. It's very good. So what I invited the guys to do, and I just invite you to think about as well, when you see something in nature that really moves you, and you're thinking, this is just awesome, just remember that when God looks at you, he says, you are very good. He's, you're very good. And he actually gave his son for you that you could know life. It's just a really cool, and I just love singing that song. Okay, so that was free. Just had, there we go. And by the way, those of you know, it snowed over the summit last night, you know, and it actually shut down 80 for a little bit. Did you hear about that? And uh, just pretty wild. I know it's not going to be that way today, even though there's a triathlon going on around Lake Tahoe, and they're shutting all the roads down, so all the guys have to figure out a way to get home besides their normal ways. So if you're waiting on your husband or your spouse, you know, something like that, it's going to maybe take a while for them to get home. So grab your message notes, if you would, out of your program. And uh, what I'm going to ask you to do is, uh, if you have your Bible, you can try to follow along. We're not going to just camp out in one place like we typically do. I'm going to move all over the Bible as I talk about success at work. But I do want to talk about a Bible. Uh, we just really want uh, everyone to have a Bible. So if you don't own one, when you leave today, just grab one on either side of the doors. There's some racks there because we'd love to see you have a Bible. Just take that as our gift today uh, and put that in your home, okay? We'd love to have it. You have it there so you can read it yourself. So we're talking about work more than making a living. We're talking about making a life. And uh, it's been, I just really appreciate your responses to this series and the challenge and just the enlightenment and how God's used this for you. He's used it for me, that's for sure. And we've been using this definition that I put on your notes this week. And here's the definition. Work is the gracious expression of creative energy in the service of others. So just that, just that definition alone just changes or reframes our view of work. Because what it does, it indicates that, that work is a lifelong endeavor. Uh, it, we talked about in this series that we work because God works, and he's a worker. He created us to be in his image, and so he created us to work as well. And so work is a really good thing. We were created in his likeness, and so when we work, we're actually, you know, fulfilling the role that God called us to fulfill, that he made us for, is that we would be workers and we would accomplish things. The gracious expression of creative energy in the service 
of others. So this is for all of us, you know, so whether you're uh, in between jobs right now, some, you know, maybe in a place that you don't want to be, or you've moved into retirement, maybe you're in high school or college and you're thinking about the future, uh, just getting this, you know, definition in your mind and, and looking at work a different way is going to impact you in a huge way. Maybe you're just a homemaker and you stay home. I don't say just a homemaker. Maybe you're a homemaker and you stay at home and that's your role there and that's your job, especially uh, that if you have children and you're like, oh, it's just so much work there. Well, this is for you as well as we just talk about the ways that we can express ourselves uh, at work. So it's for all of us. And so we've tried to, you know, reframe work in this. And I think we've done a pretty good job. We've got some resources over in the bookstore, Next Step Bookstore. Just love to see you check those out. Uh, all of them are, you know, come at work just a little bit differently. Uh, I particularly mentioned the, the book by Timothy Keller, Every Good Endeavor. I, I ran into somebody at Starbucks this week and he was reading Every Good Endeavor. And he was just like, thank you so much for recommending this. It's just challenged me and changed me in a lot of ways. So today what we're going to do is we're going to wrap it all up and we're going to say, okay, what does success mean? How do I succeed at work? Uh, and so the, you know, we, we kind of the traditional view of success would be that, okay, success means that I'm going to make enough money that I'm comfortable and in uh, whatever level you think comfort is, okay? So we all have differing you know, standards when it comes to that. Uh, some people think, well, success means that I'm moving forward continually to, in my career path. And so the most important thing to me is that I, yeah, that I continue the process. And if I'm not, then I'm not succeeding or I fear that I've not succeeded in some way. Uh, other people, they look at success and they say, well, success is, you know, just gaining prestige. And so, you know, that people would look at me and say, oh man, because of what she did, because of what he did, then he's, you know, something and that they've really accomplished this. And others even say, okay, well, with prestige comes power. So they look at success and say, if I have power, then I'm successful in some way. Some people just look at success and they say, okay, success to me means I'm going to produce high quality work. And so uh, they judge their uh, success or lack of success on the ability to produce high quality work. Others would say, okay, success would be I grew a business or I grew an organization. I started a company. I started a store. I started a business in some way. And that business today is successful. And you know, then, of course, that's defined in all kinds of different ways as well. What does that mean? Does it just mean successful enough that I have enough to live on or successful enough that I now have another store? more employees. So you just look at that. It's all about more when you look at that in some way. Uh, other people think that success just means, you know, my thing is about helping other people grow. So you know, I'm going to, you know, be involved in work and I'm going to be involved in uh, an occupation or endeavor that's going to help other people grow. And then, you know, you have all the success thing about benefiting those who are also uh, invested. Uh, you know, you look at the whole Wall Street and stockholders and all of that, you know, and how uh, companies are, to, you know, judged successful by whether the stockholders think they are are the stakeholders, and we're all stakeholders in many ways and lots of things. So those are all ways that we can look at success at work, right? We can look at it that way. And I'm not saying, oh, by the way, I forgot to mention this. One of the ways that many people think they're successful is if they can retire early. You know, and they, they, maybe they've seen friends be able to do this, and they, they you know, have others, and they've retired early, and they look at themselves and say, you know what, I'm working until I take my last breath. And so they, realize, and they don't feel that they're going to be successful as their friends are. So all those are ways we can look at success. And I'm not saying that they're bad. I'm really not. Those are not bad things. They're all good things in their own way. But what I want to do is I want us to think a little bit today about success as a follower of Christ. Success as a follower of Jesus Christ. 
And we're going to look at that today. And, and you know, you may not be a follower of Christ. And if you're not, I love that you're here. And we just pray that there will be a day when you do say yes to him and that you realize the, you know, what he's done for you and you appropriate his grace and that, that out of that then comes this new relationship. Well, in that new relationship comes a new uh, a new value system and a new way of looking at life. And so we're going to kind of frame today success for followers of Christ and what does it look like to be successful. So I want to begin today by, you have to write this on your notes, I want to get, begin by reframing success. That's the first point. If I'm going to succeed at work, I need to just reframe success. And I'm going to you know, ask us to reframe it today around if you're a follower of Christ, what the Bible has to say about success. Now, uh, I just want to go back a little bit and, and just kind of I'm going to give a little bit more of a picture of what culture says success is, and then we can, we can you know, juxtapose it and put it next to what the Bible says. Now, many 20-somethings, and I've been doing a lot of reading about this and uh, just looking at culture because uh, of the, uh, uh, the, way, the influence of the Internet and with startup companies where you can just have an idea and you throw it out on the internet, and it goes viral, and the next thing you know, you are rich and famous. Uh, it's, just, it's the proliferation of that and how we're holding those people up as normal uh, is really discouraging many 20-somethings who haven't had that kind of opportunity or that kind of success. Because that's just, a, I mean, the, a small, small, like Mark Zuckerberg, you know, when he went public with Facebook and, you know, he was supposed to have made all these billions of dollars. You know, when he went public with Facebook, he's 28 years old and he has billions of dollars. And they look at that and they, you know, many of the Twitter founders, they look at those folks and they're, you know, they're millionaire, billionaires today. And they look at that and say, well, that's success. And if I'm not there, then I'm not successful in some way. And so by 28, I was doing some reading this week, and I was just fascinating. By 28, many 20-somethings face what is called the quarter-life crisis. Not midlife now, it's the quarter-life crisis. And, and, and the, really, the whole idea is that quarter-life crisis is based on two lies. And they're lies that are propagated by culture, uh, lies that students hear in school, that they hear in college, and they hear in the media today. Uh, and even, by the way, professionals in the business world will still use these two lies. And here's the first great lie. If you work hard enough, you can be, any, you can be anything you want to be. If you work hard enough, you can be anything you want to be. And folks, that's just a lie. That's just a lie. You cannot be anything you want to be. God, in fact, if you think you can, go read the parable of the talents. Parable of Talents makes clear distinctions that there are certain people who are gifted more than others, and that we are to invest what we've been given. We're not equal with, we're not all equal in our gifting. So you can't be anything you want to be. This is actually sold as the American dream. The American dream. In America, anyone can grow up to be president. Now, do you really believe that? Anyone can grow up to be president? Okay, that's the first lie. The second lie is this. And it's just as dangerous as the first one. Here it is. You can be the best in the world. You can be the best in the world. Now you think about that. If you start in grade school and you hear those two lies, you can be anything you want to be, and you can be the best in the world, imagine what that does to you as you start seeing that you can't be everything in the world and that you see other people who are better than you. 
So um, it's very discouraging. It's very discouraging. So you look at that, and those lies are accepted by, I mean, some of you in this room, you're thinking, well, Ron, what's wrong with those statements, okay? I believe, though. It's not, they're lies. But they're accepted by both followers of Christ and non-followers of Christ. And what I believe is those lies, lies have damaged our view of work, or as we've talked about in this series, calling or vocation. You know, they damaged our views of that, and they've distorted the view of biblical success. Now, I've talked about Tim Keller. He's a prolific author right now and has many books. And another one of his books is called Counterfeit Gods. And this is what he says in Counterfeit Gods. More than other idols, personal success and achievement lead to a sense that we ourselves are God, that our security and value rest in our own wisdom, strength, and performance. To be the very best at what you do, to be at the top of the heap means that no one is like you. You are supreme. You are supreme. Now, what he points out in his book, and what I want to point out today is we talk about if you'll rediscover, if we'll rediscover the biblical doctrine of work and the biblical doctrine of vocation and the biblical view of success, then we are going to be set free to pursue what God says really matters, and it's going to encourage us instead of discouraging us, which the cultural views tend to do. You guys all know who John Wooden was, right? John Wooden, great coach at uh, UCLA. Uh, committed Christian, uh, and he was once asked, how would you define success? And here was his response. Success is peace of mind, which is a direct result of self-satisfaction in knowing you did your best to become the best you were capable of becoming. Self-satisfaction at knowing that you did your best at becoming the best you were capable of becoming. So if we take our view, our definition of success that we're using, I mean, uh, work and we're using in this series, I just want to tweak it a little bit and give you what I would think would be a definition of success. And so it'd be this. When I graciously express my creative potential in serving others for the glory of God, that's success. You know, when I can graciously express my creative potential in serving others for the glory of God, I'm successful. I'm successful when I do that. And so that's the reframing that the Bible does. In fact, look at Colossians 3. Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as as your reward, and that the master you are serving is Christ. So we also looked in Ephesians 6. We looked at it a couple of times in the series. This verse in Ephesians 6 They both say that we work to please God. We work to please God. And that that has to be our top priority. So whether I'm, you know, a homemaker or whether I'm an accountant or whether I'm a mechanic, as we looked at last week, or whether I'm digging ditches or whether I'm sweeping floors or whether I'm writing programs uh, or whether I'm designing parts or buildings or, you know, I'm leading governments, whatever it is, is that what we're supposed to do, according to the Bible, is to look at work as I'm working for God. I'm not working for my supervisor. Some of you are going, yes, that's cool, sets me free. I'm not working for my boss. I'm not working for my spouse. I'm not working for my friends. I'm not working according to any other expectation, but my only boss, my only one that I look to is God, and I work for him. I work, as we've heard this phrase before, I work for an audience of one, 
And so if you're a follower of Christ, the way I want to reframe success and work for you today is this, is that it's who you work for that separates you. It's who you work for that separates you from culture because you are working for God. In fact, look at what it says in 1 Thessalonians 4. We urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God. So that's it, live in a way that pleases God. And I've talked about that uh, two times in this series. Uh, that pleases God doesn't mean I'm trying to appease God uh, because I cannot do anything to appease God. Uh, God can only be appeased by what Jesus Christ did on the cross. So now what I'm doing is I'm pleasing him, and what I'm doing, I'm doing it in a way that he smiles because I'm being the best at who he made me to be. I'm doing the best job. And he says, make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands. Then people who are not Christians will respect the way you live, and you will not depend, need to depend on others. So that's, you know, once again, is this saying that your boss is not your boss. Now, I don't want you to go in next, you know, tomorrow and look at your boss, you know, the first time you get a little ticked and just go, you're not the boss of me. <laughs> that's what my daughter used to say to us, you're not the boss of me. And I don't think that's an appropriate response. And I don't think that's going to get you very far at work to do that. Uh, it actually said, you know, work with, you know, humility. See, so what the whole idea is this, is that as I was talking about at Lake Tahoe, when God made you, he looked at you and said, you're very good. The concept is this, is that when God looks at you, he smiles. He smiles. You know, when I, um, when I go on Facebook and I stalk my son, <laughs> because I've discovered now that he's in college, that's the only way I know what he's doing. Uh, and when I stalk him there, I'm looking at those pictures, and uh, you know what? Every picture that he's in, I center on him, and I feel warmth. I feel drawn. I feel love. And what I want you to know is that when God looks at you, that's what he feels. Warmth. He's drawn. He feels love when he looks at you. That's the idea that we're getting across here, is that when I go to work, God, I am pleasing God by just being me. And I'm being the best me that I can be, but I'm being me. And he's drawn to me, not according to my behavior, not according to what I'm trying to do, but according to what he's done for me through Jesus Christ. That's what success is. So success is, you know, it, it blesses others. I'm, I'm doing the best I can be, and I'm blessing others, and God gets the glory. Now, when God gets the glory, I said, Jack, you know, you hear that phrase, and you're going, glory to God, or may God get the glory. What does that actually mean? What that means is all eyes are t pointed to God. That's what that means. All eyes are pointed to God. So when I do what I do, instead of them thinking, oh my gosh, look at what Ron did, uh, you know, or Mark, look at what Mark did, uh, and they're saying, oh my word, without God, he could never have done that. <laughs> There's no way. And so God gets the glory. And, and so when I do my work, God gets the glory. Now, when you're doing your work and you're doing it well, people may not know that God's getting the glory, and they may not understand that. There's looking at you going, there's something going on here. There's something I don't quite understand that's happening here by the way this person's responding or by the way this person is working. So, you know, I get a lot of people talk to me and say, Ron, how do I share my faith at work? And, and, you know, I always say, well, you have to look for opportunities to tell your faith story. That's one way. But I would just say the primary way you, you uh, share your faith at work, according to what First Thessalonians says here, is that I do my work in a way that other people see something different in me 
and they come to me and say, you know, you're just a little odd. You're just a little different. I like you, and you're not like weird, like that weird. Uh, and, but what's so different about you? And so what draws people to Christ is credibility. It's credibility. So you wonder in your workplace, how am I going to share Christ? And I'm going to share Christ by my credibility. Because I know God's my boss. I'm reframing success. And I'm at work serving others so that he gets the glory. That's the whole idea. Okay, now what I want to do is I just want to give you some more uh, practical things uh, to look at about succeeding at work. And the first one is, if I'm going to do this, then I need to pursue excellence. If I'm going to be the best I can be, I need to pursue excellence. And excellence, you know, your idea about excellence is a strong indication of whether or not you're going to succeed. Employees that strive for excellence move forward and get appreciated and are valued. Employees that don't aspire to excellence, well, when it comes time for, you know, cuttings or, you know, that we have to shave off from some folks or promotions or raises, then even if they're the most personable person on earth, the, the funniest worker in the workplace, that, uh, and that they're always there, but what they do isn't excellent, then they're going to be looked over. And so if I'm going to want to show people God by my work and give him glory, then I need to be looking at excellence. Look what it says in Ecclesiastes 9.10. He says, Whatever you do, do well. For when you go to the grave, there will be no work or planning or knowledge or wisdom. So what will be left? Your reputation. Your reputation. So whatever you do, do well. Uh, and so basically, uh, you know, Oswald Chambers, many of you have probably read his daily devotional. It's just been famous for over the years, and it's just very moving. Uh, and so what this is actually saying is, is that you should live your life as the title of that book is. And the title of the book is, My Utmost for His Highest. My Utmost for His Highest. So that's how I'm supposed to live. Live with every day with my utmost for his highest. So I just want to, what would it look like if you decided that you're going to do every task excellently? Excellently. Now, I, when I was 10 years old, I don't know, I can't remember exactly, 9 or 10 is when I got my first paper up. And back then, you know, you rode a bike and you put your papers in a bag on the side. And so you would ride this bike and, and uh, you had different ways. The first paper I worked at, you folded the paper into this thing that looked like a... Um, it was it was had angles and it was about this big and you folded it and then you would just throw those like a frisbee uh and this all the other paper jobs i had after that that you would roll them with and put a rubber band around and so you know even back at nine or ten uh it, you know for me doing the best i could be is i figured out where every homeowner wanted their paper and so it was my goal to from the street to be able to nail that spot with the rolled up paper and so, and if I didn't hit it, then I would go up and I'd move it and I'd put it where it was supposed to be because I wanted those folks to realize that I cared and that I was, you know, just wanting them to uh, give me a tip, okay? And so, uh, as I was doing my paper, now if I, you know, this happened, if, if it just took an extra bounce and went through the storm glass window, that did a few times happen, then I would stop and write a note and, uh, you know, and say I needed to, you know, do that better. So then... Um, Along the line, I got, sick. I got another job, and I started working at age 13. I worked at a full-service gas station. Now, my uncle owned it, so that's part of why I got the job, is he owned it, and I only lived a few blocks from it, and so I could ride my bike there. And so I did, did papers in the morning in full-service gas station in the, you know, on Saturdays, 
um, and work there. And so, I, you know, I changed oil, I fixed flat tires, I pumped gas, and I cleaned windshields. And so doing all that, but I would always do it you know, every customer to me was important. And I would always know I was representing my uncle and representing his station, so I'd always do it the best I could be. Then along the line, I get another job. I've worked a lot of jobs in my life, okay? The next job I had uh, at the age of 15 uh, was in a grocery store. And so I worked from, in a grocery store from 15 to 18. And so I bagged groceries and uh, mopped floors, waxed floors. When we would take everything out and we'd wax the floors so they'd sparkle, uh, and, you know, cared for customers, all those things. And uh, well, once again, it was all about excellence. And so today I still, you know, have that value that I shoot for, that I'm pursuing excellence. Now, it's even one of our values of our church is that we will be excellent in all we do. And we make that clear. I talk about it in Journey 101. I say, hey, we're not mean perfection. What we mean is that we're going to perform excellently. It's about performance, not perfection. And so we look at that and we say, that's what we're going to do. So just my encouragement today is that you would find ways that you can say, okay, at work, how can I pursue excellence? How can I do that? And then look what it says in Romans 12, 11. It says, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. So we talked about this last week a lot. When you go to work, as you're serving the Lord, that you're the one that God asked to set the tone at work so that you don't want to be, as we you know, commented, you don't want to be the dark cloud, the black hole that sucks all the positive life and work when you walk down the, between the cubicles or you walk in. You want to be the one that brings energy as you walk around as much as you can that you bring energy into your workplace. Um, so that's how we want to reframe success as we say, I'm going to pursue excellence. Next idea is this on the backside of your nose. I have to choose diligence. Not only is it excellent, but I need to do it with diligence. Now, the Proverbs are full of verses about diligence. In a few weeks, let's see, October 27th, I'll begin a series, and we're going to go through Proverbs for the whole rest of the fall. And so I've been doing a lot of reading in Proverbs, and there's a lot about work, there's a lot about diligence. I won't go back and do another message on work because we've already done this, but I thought I would pull out some of these ideas about diligence out of Proverbs. Look at this, Proverbs 12. The hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. Not a good place, right? (laughs) So if you're lazy and you're not doing your job, then you're not going to get ahead. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. And then this next one. As workers who tend to fig tree are allowed to eat the fruit... So workers who protect their employer's interest will be rewarded. So he's saying, whatever you do, means you're working for excellence, do it diligently. So I just want to you know, kind of describe what does a diligent worker look like? Okay, so I'll give you some ideas. These are just mine. I'm sure you have your own, your own thoughts. You might even want to write down your own as we go through. I'm just going to give you kind of a list. A diligent worker shows up on time. Is anybody feeling that? A diligent worker shows up on time. You know, that when your, your job starts at 9 o'clock, you don't show up at 9.05, you show up at 8.55. So that by the time 9 o'clock hits, you've already done your whatever you would do for your, you know, getting into your desk or your, your space, you're at the expected time, you're there ready to go at 9 o'clock. Uh, by the way, I just want to suggest this. This is kind of going to be really, really freaky for some of you, okay? Also, get to church on time, okay? I was thinking about that. Just get to church on time. We start, at nine, we start this service at 8 o'clock. 
And I know that for many of you, this service is easy to get to. You're not the crowd that usually comes in, you know, 30 minutes late. Uh, but I just want to say, get to church on time. It's one of the ways that you can show your diligence. Okay, a diligent worker second builds others up. So you kind of see it, your role in your environment to be the encourager, uh, the one that, you know, builds others up. A dil- diligent worker, this is going to pinch some of you, honors his or her supervisor. Honors his or her supervisor. So there's not rolled eyes when the supervisor turns his or her back. Uh, there's not snide comments at the coffee, you know, the coffee machine uh, about the supervisor. There's not under the breath statements that you just hope that, you know, you know the supervisor heard it, but you just, that's the pattern and it's okay in your work environment. None of that happens. Is that if a diligent worker honors a supervisor, a diligent, diligent worker admits mistakes, admits mistakes. Uh, and I just think this is one of the great mis- misunderstandings in the workplace. Many people think if they admit a mistake that they're going to be looked down on. That you, you, know, you blew it and you should have done this better. You're going to be looked down on. But what many employers say, I, I can't say every employer because there may be some you know, ones that wouldn't do this and then you would do it and you'd get fired and you'd blame me. So I'm not they all don't do that, okay? But what happens is, is that many employers say, no, if I have an employee that admits a mistake and uh, is honest about it, their values raised in my sight, not lowered. They're raised in my sight. And so I finally, in their mind, they're going, this is a person I can trust. (laughs) I can trust this person because they're open with their mistakes. Uh, Diligent worker number five shares credit, shares credit with others. So, um, and no one likes a credit hog, right? And so a diligent worker shares shares credit with others. And basically they're just saying, hey, it's not all about me. We're doing this together. Number six, a diligent worker resolves conflict quickly, uh, whether it's between fellow workmates or uh, between customers or suppliers, uh, clients. They're willing to resolve conflict qu- quickly. And uh, kind of the last thing is, is that diligent worker sees his or her goal as adding value, that I'm going to add value to my company, I'm going to add value to my corporation, I'm going to add value to my work, my business, my church, whatever it happens to be, I'm going to add value. And, and what's really cool is that those who add value actually end up being the ones that have the most influence. Because if you're thinking about that, if you're adding value to your workplace, then uh, when there's a discussion that needs to be had, or there's a question, or there's direction, well, the, they're going to look to the people who are adding value and say, what do you think? How do you, what would you suggest we do here? Because they know that they want to add value to the company Incorporation. So uh, Martin Luther King said this If it falls your lot to be a sweet street sweeper, sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures. Sweep streets like Beethoven composed, composed music. Sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry. Sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, Here lived a street sweeper who swept his job well. That's just a great way to approach life, uh, that we would do it with diligence. Okay, next, if I'm going to, you know, uh, succeed and I must seek improvement, that's just obvious. I must seek improvement. Uh, Lots of verses in the Bible talk about this. Ecclesiastes 10.10 says um, that I need a dull axe requires great strength, so sharpen the blade. That's the value of wisdom. It helps you succeed. Proverbs 22, do you see any truly competent workers they will serve kings rather than working for ordinary people. That means those who have gotten ahead. Uh, do you acquire wisdom? To acquire wisdom is to love oneself. 
people who cherish understanding will prosper. So really, the whole idea here is that, uh, is that whatever level you're at now, look for a way to improve. Whatever knowledge you have now, look for more knowledge. Uh, and there's so many sources of knowledge today, so many sources of uh, self-improvement. Uh, and so I'm not going to go into this a lot, but just say, just keep improving and keep improving. Okay, next is this. If I'm going to succeed at work, I must succeed expectations. I must exceed expectations. So I have to exceed what's expected of me. So if you just remember what we talked about here, uh, and as we think about this, exceeding expectations, that God is more interested in how you work than what you did at work. He's more interested in how you work. And so we always think about product, right? We always think that the product, and so, you know, hey, I got this product, and it's excellent. And, you know, if we really think about that, it's going to increase, he's going to, you know, add value. And so the goal is the product. And then we look at the process, and the process stunk. The process didn't honor God. Uh, the process left, you know, people wounded and damaged uh, along the way. And then God would say, you know, that didn't, that's not what I want. And so what we'd want to do is we say, I want to exceed expectations. So all along the way, the process and the product are important. And I'm going to exceed the expectations that someone has. So if you want to do, if you want to get noticed at work, just do more than is expected. Do more than is expected. In fact, if you want to get ahead, that's the way to do it. Just do more than is expected. And then what the, the people around you will notice that you're someone who does more than is expected. Now, Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 5. And just want to give you some context before we read this verse. Uh, in the day that Jesus is writing, a Roman soldier could conscript or could, you know, just grab someone on the side of the road and say, I need you to carry my pack, my, arm, you know, my pack that I'm carrying all of my, you know, fighting stuff and my supplies in. And those packs would weigh anywhere from 75 to 100 pounds. And so uh, knowing that this could lead some abuse, uh, they passed another law that says, okay, it's okay to take someone off the side of the road or uh, that you come by and say, I need you to carry my battle gear, but you can only do it for a mile. So they only have to do it for a mile, and then they're finished. So a mile, you carry 7,500 pounds, and you're finished. And so this is what Jesus says about that. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Carry it two miles. So what he's saying is, when, you carry, when they ask you to carry it one mile, do it, do it willingly, and do it with a positive attitude, and then you get to the end of the mile, and they say, you're finished. They say, no, I'll just do it another mile. And he says, what you're doing is you're exceeding expectations, and then as you're doing it the other mile, the soldier's going to go, I've never run into anybody like you before. Why are you doing this? And then you get to say, well, you know what? There's this rabbi named Jesus, and I'm a follower of the rabbi Jesus. And the rabbi Jesus said, I should do this. And so I'm doing it because of him. And then now they're looking, not looking at you, but they want to go find the rabbi Jesus because that difference it made in carrying that the extra way. So that's kind of what he's talking about here. So the first mile, it's obligation. So you, we all have obligations at work, right? All have obligations. So we do it with a good attitude. The second mile, that brings influence. That brings influence. When I go beyond expectation. Now, when you're thinking about this series, I was thinking about excellence. There was a couple that came to my mind in our church family that I've gotten to know over the last several years. I was actually able to perform their wedding uh, and uh, have uh, worked with them. I actually had them in my home and do some work there. Uh, and I just, you know, was so always admired uh, this couple and said, you know what? Because they embody what I'm talking about today. They embody it. They live it out. 
And so when it came time for this message, I asked our team if they would go to this couple, ask this couple if they'd be willing to do it, and videotape them and just get a little bit of their story. So I want to, you know, you watch the screens. We're going to look at the story of Joe and Edwina Grande. I'm Joe Grandy. And I'm Edwina Grandy. And we own Grandy Wood Designs. So how I got into wood, woodworking? Well, um, basically from my father. Um, he was always a hobbyist. He loved it. He was actually in the food industry. Um, but we grew up... Um, having a garage that always had woodworking tools in it. In my past life in, in the Bay Area, we really, we built um, basically plastic cabinetry. Uh, same tools, same kind of concept. Um, so it was kind of a natural fit for me to, to move into that. Plus when I moved up here and just not being able to find work, Dad had retired, built his dream shop, so it was a 1,500 square foot wood shop. Um, and then I had a friend who had a need for wood products, so that's kind of how we got into it. I gotta say though, uh, it did my, my dad a lot of good to see that. Uh, he was very proud and he loved the fact that I was living his dream out. So I was able to give that to him before he died. And I'm pretty happy about So I guess what drives me um, in why I do what I do and how I put everything into it is the people, the people that God brings into our lives. At the store here, I think that we are blessed in so many instances about with whom we come in contact with. Um, we could um, have a lady who has no worries in the world, comes in with just everything of, about her that is just picture perfect. And then we have the young gal who her whole world is coming apart. And I was exposed to the young woman whose world was coming apart last Christmas. Okay, and it, we had our Christmas decorations out here in the store. And she said she just wanted a little Christmas ornament for herself. She just needed a pick-me-up. She said she has two children and she just um, is on her own and has nothing now because she came from an abusive husband. So she took the two children out of the home and left without anything. And so she's trying to build up a new life. Well, with that, um, she just wanted that ornament there um, for herself at that moment. So I went back to wrap up the gift and I said, Edwina, you think you have problems? I said, you don't. And with that, I, um, I gave her the ornament, and then I said to her, I said, come over here. There's these three angels. And I said, um, I want you to pick out one. And um, they had little sayings on them, on the wings, and one of them had uh, music notes on them. And she said, I'd like to take, I'd like, I like that one. I said, well, I'd like to give it to you. I said, I said, every time you look at the 
or every time you have some fear or you're afraid, I want you to look and touch the angel and that she's looking out for you. God is looking out for you. We live in such a shattered world. And for, I was hoping that for one brief moment that I could give her something to hang on to, you know, with that angel, and that God is always with her and her children. You never know who walks in our store. You never know what they have just experienced, what they've, um, what their life is all about. So my attitude now is I get to go to work. I don't have to go to work. We're not pastors. We're not therapists. We're not, we're just people yeah. and just willing to listen, yeah. you know, and that's, uh, that's what God allows us to do here. Yeah. I think God has changed my feeling about what my purpose is. And my purpose is to, my missionary work, is to love God, love people, serve God, serve people. And with that, I'm being served myself. It's, it's where I think we're supposed to be right now. I know it's where we're supposed yeah. to be. That's what drives me. I love them. I love their story. Their story embodies everything. Yeah, they just say yes, yay. The story embodies everything we've talked about in this series and everything we've talked about today. And this is what God says, Proverbs 16, Mark read earlier. Commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. You know, as your pastor today, that's my desire. It's my desire that we look at work in a new way. We reframe it. We reframe success. We realize that it's my gracious expression of creative energy in the service of others for the glory of God. For the glory of God. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for your church, and I thank you for this family. And uh, Lord, I I'm so excited uh, about what we've talked about. I'm just really excited about the difference I know that's being made all across our community and workplaces and uh, how that's just starting. It's not ending because the series ended, but that you've challenged us to think of work in a different way. Lord, I know we talked today and says, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is what it means. And I know that there are people here that aren't followers of Jesus. And so I just want to give you an opportunity to say yes to him. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you would just say something in your mind, your heart, a little prayer that would go, Jesus, as much as I understand it, I come to you. I say yes to you today. Will you forgive me for my sins? Will you forgive me for all the ways I know that I've not honored you? Cleanse me because of what you did on the cross. I accept your free gift. And I ask you now to change me from the inside out and I want to live the rest of my life to honor you. And Father, I pray for all those who are followers of Jesus today that we have been challenged and we will listen to your challenge and we will respond in a way that truly brings you glory at work. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.